You're listening to the Humbucker Soup Podcast with Kevin Chisholm. If you love guitar pickups, pedals, and parts, you've come to the right place. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Humbucker Soup. We're with Lindy Fralin today. Lindy is the founder of Fralin Pickups, world-renowned for their hand-wound guitar and bass pickups. As time has gone by, the number of pickup makers has exploded. This means that for guitarists, the choices are virtually limitless. Lindy Fralin has not only managed to stand out in a very crowded marketplace, he's been a game changer through his innovative approach to pickup design. Products such as his Twangmaster, which provides that classic Stratocaster tone in a humbucker-sized route with no modifications, and his signature split blades, an innovation that gives Strat and Tele players warm, single-coil tone with no hum, have not only made Fralin pickups a household name among guitarists, they have redefined what pickup technology can be. Welcome to Humbucker Soup, Lindy, and thank you for joining us today. Well, a pleasure to be here. A few years ago, I stumbled across the article about your original hand-built winding machine from the late 1980s. There was a photo of a motor, a foot switch, and a variac in a can. That was it. <laughs> I'll never forget that picture. Do you remember how you felt as you wound your first pickups on that homemade winder? Did you ever imagine where it would lead you? I definitely didn't imagine where it would lead. But, uh, yeah, I had read an article about Roy B. I mean, uh, Danny Gatton winding some of his own coils. I thought that was fascinating. And then a friend of mine in Richmond told me he had made his own winder out of a scavenged tennis drill motor. <laughs> Same idea, though. Okay. Um, so I... I just figured I could get a sewing machine motor because it already had a foot pedal built into it mm -hmm. and build that thing you saw. It was just a board. That's <laughs> what I was wondering if, if it was a sewing machine motor because it had the foot switch. Yep. And I had to go find a Variac is like an electric train speed controller because mm -hmm. some motors are just not designed to go that slow. Okay. It's bad for them to give them... Um, I think what a Variac does is, as it lowers the voltage, it raises the amp so the motors can handle it better. Oh, okay. So the motor kind of needs more current if it's going to... Yeah, it doesn't keep it from... It'll, you'll hear a motor vibrate or start to... It's like, it doesn't like the electricity when you give it less and less voltage. They're just not designed for that. Right. Okay. But, but some that... machine motor was designed for variable speed, but not as slow as you're using it for pickups. But that particular motor, the, the sewing machine motor, didn't have variable speed, which... It no, they had the foot pedal, which was variable speed. It just oh, wouldn't go slow that. enough. Oh, so I see. So I ran that Variac down about halfway, and now I, could, I had the, the range I wanted. Okay. And I think the image of the Variac literally in a coffee can just made the whole <laughs> visual perfect. Oh, yeah. Well, it needed something to be around it. It was just a... It's like a coil around a sphere. It's, it's yeah. bizarre looking. <laughs> and so when you were winding those pickups, I mean, can you remember what it felt like to do it in such a sort of like, you know, garage band type of situation? Just that motor bolted yeah, to the board. Um, it, was, it was fun and it was always, I was so interested in the tone. Way before I even had this thing, the sound of guitars was as interesting to me as anything else about them. You know, I, what attracted me to people like Hendrix was the tone and his ideas. But the mm -hmm. tone, those bright wound strings always attracted me. Even when all I had was an acoustic, I loved the sound of new strings. 
Okay. So that's just been in my head since I was a kid. I was lucky enough to have a, my father played a classical guitar. He played mm-hmm. jazz on it. He was a fan of Charlie Bird. And so I got to hear acoustic guitars when I was very young. Mm, okay. So for, and I think probably a lot of the people who are listening are very familiar with your company, but for the listeners out there who might be fairly new to Freeland Pickups, what would you say your company is best known for? What sets you apart from other pickup makers? Probably that I am attracted to clarity, control of the guitar, not just power, because I'm a player who plays clean most of the time. And so I, I judge a pickup, a guitar, or an amp, how it sounds clean, not how it sounds dirty. Okay. And I, I don't have any trouble getting good dirty sounds. It's, it's just a little harder to make a good clean sound. So I was making lower out pickups before that came kind of, before it became very popular. And now most of my customers like lower output pickups. Hmm. Do you kind of feel like getting a good clean sound is the benchmark? Whereas if you can get a good clean sound from a pickup, you're fairly confident you'll probably get a good dirty sound as well? I think that's true. Okay. Because basically a good clean sound is a balance between bass, mids, and highs. If mm. they're all balanced with each other, it's going to sound good clean or dirty. Okay. Do you think there's a... There's kind of like a maybe a misunderstanding about low output versus high output pickups, meaning that maybe people who are less experienced think, oh, high output is just going to be better for me because I like drive or I like to play lead, whereas sometimes a low output pickup in the right situation can sound phenomenal. Well, there's truth to that because, uh, you know, when, when people first, like DiMarzio and Duncan first came out making really strong pickups, we didn't have all these amps and pedals that could, you know, we didn't have the sources of gain we do it today. Mm-hmm. We have the best pedals and amps we've ever had access to, I think, or at least yeah. the most variety. And yeah. so early on, these hotter pickups were attracted people. I was attracted to them at first. Yeah. You know, I had a I had a DiMarzio Super Distortion Plus in some guitar, and I had the first <laughs> pickup I ever bought was a Duncan strap for my bridge. It was yeah. about 14K. Wow. And strat, after about a, a year, pickup? a 14K strap. Yeah, yeah, it was very strong. It was a, called a Seamorized, and it was a great pickup. But after a while, I said, maybe there's something between 5.7 and 14. And that's when I said, I'm going to make a winding machine. Okay. So, in, in its own ways, Seymour Duncan inspired me a little bit. Okay. Can you, can you remember? I mean, I, I know I can remember like in the late 70s kind of thinking that, you know, you either had a Strat or a Les Paul or some variation of that guitar. But other than Seymour Duncan and DiMarzio, I can't remember there being other pickup makers. If there were, I didn't know of them. But well, they, they were the ones I knew about first, too. And, yeah. and, you know, Gibson and Fender, you might see their pickups in a music store, but it was kind of rare. They weren't really yeah. trying to sell pickups yet. Nowadays, you might, but I think I once saw a Gibson set in a plastic box in a um, was a giant music forty years ago, but it was pretty rare. Yeah, I don't remember Fender or Gibson really actually selling their pickups as standalone products yeah. back then. Uh, now they might, but they didn't back then. Um, uh, they're getting back to your your question though. You asked a minute ago. I think as guitarists grow and mature and learn more styles of music, is when they're attracted to lower output pickups okay. because you can have more dynamics, more expressiveness, more control of the guitar with a lower output pickup. Mm-hmm. And a higher output pickup is more forgiving. You know, you can 
hit the string hard or soft, and it pretty much comes out of the amp the same way. Mm. You can hammer on, and it's plenty loud. Sure. Um, so that's a, that's a perfect pickup for some people with that style. But the, the more mature a guitarist gets, the more he wants to control his guitar and hear all the touch that he does come mm. out the amp. So I think that's why people like lower pickups. There's also a purely scientific reason for it. Okay. Um, as you wind pickups hotter, the resonant peak shifts to a lower frequency. Mm-hmm. And a Strat, for instance, with a 20-foot cable, the resonant peak is right around 3.3K, which is a really pleasant, sparkly treble. Mm-hmm. If you wind them to 10K, now that resonant peak is about 2.5K, which is a harsh, hard, edgy kind of treble. So still okay. around with the 31 band equalizer. You'll see what I'm saying. Mm, okay. You'll boost 2.5K and you'll say, ooh, that's not a pleasant treble. Yeah. But 3.3 is very pleasant. So unless you're playing dirty, which kind of negates that, mm. you're not going to like a 10K Strat pickup. Now, 30 seconds with Ed. Hello, my name is Ed Malacher, and in the next 30 seconds, I will explain the difference between linear and audio tapers, and which ones you should choose for the potentiometers in your guitar. The volume and tone controls are variable resistors, and the taper refers to how the resistance changes as you turn it up and down. If you measure a 500k linear potch resistance at the halfway point, it will read 250k. Not so for an audio taper. Audio tapers work more like the human ear and travel from quiet to loud logarithmically. Most experts recommend using an audio taper for the volume and a linear pot for the tone control. We recommend you try out all of the combinations and decide for yourself. So for our listeners who, again, might be a little new to a Fralin pickups, can you talk a little bit about those three pickups and what makes them so unique? Okay, I'll start with the single coils. Um, Vintage Hot is our most stock pickup. The neck and middle is just very average for that era, 54 to 64. They're they're meant to be about 6K. Okay. And the bridge of that set is 10% hotter, so they might be 6.6. Both those sets, whether it's Strat or Tele, same number of turns, 8,000 necks and middles, 8,800 bridge. Whether it's a Strat or a Tele, they're both um, Alnico 5. We can still buy in America, so we're still using American-made Alnico 5. Mm -hmm. The only difference is Blue Special is 5% more turns. So that neck and middle might be 8,400. Okay. That bridge might be 7.2 or something. Um, and to my ears, that's about as hot as a Fender style pickup sounds good mm-hmm. because of that shift in the resonant peak we were talking about. Okay. The, uh, it's about as loud as you're going to get one and still have nice, bright, sparkly wound strings. Okay. So that's why we sell so many more of them than the hotter pickups or the other models. And that's interesting. So it, the hotter ones are, don't, aren't quite as popular as from a sales. Oh, no. Yeah. 2% of our sales are high output strats or tellies. Interesting. And either they have all humbucker guitars and want something that can keep up with them, mm-hmm. or they play dirty all the time and it sounds good to them. Okay. And I think if you play distorted, you don't hear that that spiky treble anymore. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the unbuckers is just a mismatched coil humbucker. 
is not really our most popular. The pure PFs are our most popular right now. Okay. And they're matched coils. The unbucker we did so they tapped better. Okay. Yeah, a guy with a hum single hum is going to be playing, you know, all these single coil sounds all the time. So he's not so concerned with hum. Mm-hmm. And uh, because the unbucker does have a small amount of hum, having the coils are mismatched. Right. If you if you bought a stock set of them, you'd get a seven five neck, which is a combination of a three k slug coil and a four point five k screw coil. Okay, so that's only sixty six percent hum canceling. Interesting. Yeah, it would be an eight five bridge, you know, a three five and a five. So was that the reason why the unbucker particularly sounds good when split? Because it doesn't really fully split, so you get a stronger. That's right. You're you're in, when you tap it instead of half a pickup, you've got more like two thirds of a pickup. It only goes down a little bit to a, a more usable sound. Since we come up with that model, we found a way to make this work with any match coil pickup. So if you had a Les Paul, I would suggest get pure PAFs or modern PAS, you can also tap through a resistor and achieve the same better, you know, better sounding coil tap. But I didn't know that for a good 10 years. I didn't try it. Would that be what you call your partial tap resistor? Yes, that's exactly right. I learned that because I had a high output set in a Korean PRS. And I don't like two volumes and two tones. So I put a master tone in a blender. And so what am I going to do with these other two knobs? I made them partial taps. Just, it was like having a volume control for the slug coil. Mm. Now so I had, I had everything between, you know, the full strength and the half, half strength on high outputs that worked really well. When I tried the same thing on pure PAS, it really only sounded good with the knob down about three or four. So I just took the pot out of the circuit, measured what resistance I had. Okay. And that's what a partial tap resistor is. We just okay. bought a bag of a thousand of them. It's a 7K. So you can try anything from 4K to 10K and probably improve how your humbucker taps. Okay. So you've got a tour box. You have to transport a full band, backline, and possibly even a PA from here to God knows where and back again. Whether you're in a van or a tour bus, space is limited. You need to decide what's coming on tour with you. I'm here to help. Joe Bolt, Guitar 911. In DIY touring, the name of the game is economy, namely budget and space. Unless you're selling out the big clubs or small theatres, You're probably cramming everything in a splitter van or U-Haul. A wall of amps and a cockpit control pedal board? Not an option. With that in mind, focus on these five essentials. Number one, guitars. Well, yeah, but be smart about it. One for each tuning is not unreasonable, but if you're playing in E standard and drop D, then one guitar can cover two jobs. If your set needs five different tunings, then start talking about changing keys to accommodate. Also, make sure you have a hardtail backup, especially if you use floating bridges. Hardtail guitars can be in any tuning in a moment's notice, which guarantees the show will go on without interruption. Number two, pedals. You sure you want to take that Spaceship Custom Pro pedal board the size of a dining table? You sure you can fit it in the van? You sure you can even fit it on stage? You want it, but do you need it? Instead of a tremolo and a reverb, why not reduce it down to a Strymon Flint? Why use four separate mod effects when an EHX Mod 11 will do the trick? 
Focus on five to seven pedals on a classic junior and you're doing yourself a favor. Number three, amps. Don't even mention the words wet, dry, wet rig. Lunchbox heads are more of a norm than ever and for good reason, they're small and light. If you have on-board distortion, that's another pedal you can leave off the board. Alternatively, consider modeling and eliminate amp and pedal board altogether. The Line 6 Helix or the Bosch GT1000 are built to do exactly this. Reduce your touring footprint. Number four, backup rig. What happens if someone pours a beer on your pedal board? What happens if your fancy valve amp goes pop on stage? Maybe your camper has an update crash before you start the set. It's not always feasible to bring a spare amp, so consider something small enough to fit in a gig bag. Something like a Helix Stomp or even a Sans amp, just in case everything goes sideways. Just make sure you talk to the sound guy before you start ripping cables out of things. And number five, emergency guitar kit. I covered this in episode one of the podcast and on our YouTube channel. Check it out if you haven't already. You'll need it. Tools for emergency string changes and other unexpected onstage disasters. You may wonder why I haven't mentioned extra strings, cables and picks. That's because if you didn't already know that, then you may want to rethink if you're ready to go on tour. And that's it. Hopefully your floor is now covered in gear you've decided you don't really need to take- Hey, hey, hey! Put it back. I see you sneaking that extra fuzz pedal on. Take it to heart and good luck on the road. Until then, I'm Joe Bolt from Humbucker Soup and I'll see you about. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, then head over to humbuckersoup.com for deeper dives from our experts to guide you in your pursuit of the ultimate guitar tone. Once again, that's humbuckersoup.com. See you there. Do you think that the concept of a variable tap resistor is silly or is that also practical depending on your needs? It worked on the higher output pickup. Okay. Because the high output humbuckers actually sound fine tapped to 50%, literally using just one coil. Okay. But a gear PF is too small sounding. Too so thin. on some of your other pickups, uh, for example, like the PAFs, or I was going to get into this later, but the Sunbucker, I noticed some of them, I mean, they split great. They sound fantastic when split. Are those really 50% splits? In a way, electronically they are, but they're not because the Sunbucker and the Sunbucker Blues, one, co- one coil is considerably stronger than the other one. Yeah. You see, a Sunbucker Blues is a normal humbucker. But instead of a half-inch magnet between the coils, mm-hmm. there's two quarter-inch magnets, both on the screw coil. Interesting. So you got most of your magnetism on the screw coil, very little on the slug side. So you still get hum-canceling, but a much more single-coil-sounding pickup. So the magnet is literally under one of the coils, not straddling yeah. both. Yes. So the, the slug coil is getting much less magnetism. The screw coil is getting most of it. And so that is exactly why if you cared to tap it, I don't recommend tapping them because they already sound like a single coil. Yeah, well, that's the thing is I get greedy. So I put okay. the, I put the Sunbucker in an SG, which, which was a pretty dark sounding. I love the guitar, but everything sounds muddy through it. And okay. I said, I know, I'm going to put that Sunbucker in it. And it was, it was really great. I mean, now it sounds different. Excuse me for interrupting, finish. No, I was going to say it sounded great full because it had just like I expected that brighter, more jangly sound. But when I split it, it sounded great too. It had that kind of single coil tone. There's a big difference between a Sunbucker blues and a Sunbucker. Well, that was one of my questions. So, so that, that's, is my question. What is, how are they different animals? 
Yeah, the Sunbucker Blues was designed for 500 K-Pots just to give you a scoop mid brighter humbucker. Mm-hmm. It still is fully hum canceling. That's the one with the two quarter inch magnets on the screw coil. So it's really just uh, when you, somebody thinks Sunbucker Blues, think humbucker, but a brighter, yeah. slightly more scoop sound. And both coils are still, you know, functioning, but just the screw coil is giving you 75% of the output of the pickup. Okay. Now the Sunbucker actually has Alnico in the slug coils. Okay. And so it's a similar idea. You're still getting three quarters of your output, but now you've got a real Fender sound. Because it's, of the Alnico. It's not a Gibson sound anymore. It really sounds like a Fender. Maybe not in an SG, but in a, in a Fender, it would, I had them in a Strat and they sound like a Fender. Just louder Fender, and no hum. The Fender aspect of it comes from the Alnico rods and the slugs. That's right. They, they really transform a pickup. Um, you know, that's, they get a sparkly high end. It's prettier, not as hard sounding as a Gibson, a screw. Right. Okay. You know, if you, if you think about it, a Jazzmaster and a P90 are the same pickup. Flat wide coils, mm-hmm. approximately 10,000 turns of 42 gauge. But you put Alnico in there, it sounds like a fender. You put screws in it with the magnets underneath everything. It sounds like a Gibson. Yeah, it's interesting how just, I mean, I know there are m- multiple things that affect the tone of a pickup, but the, the, the significant difference between screws versus Alnico rods. That's so true. It's almost like there's two families of pickups. And because all the, all the pickups that have the Alnico in them mm-hmm. have that similar clarity, that more open, airy mid range, like a Melody Maker or a Dan Electro or a yeah. Rickenbacker. Mm-hmm. Um, they all share the Alnico is in the coil. The, the family of pickups with steel in the coil started with the Charlie Christian and up through the P90s and humbuckers. They have that bigger, thicker, heavier sound. Yeah. Now, um, a few minutes ago, you mentioned you were talking about windings. And I was wondering if, uh, for our listeners, if you could just kind of give us a brief explanation of the purpose of underwinding versus overwinding. Oh, what, sure. It's one of the things I love about your website is that for most of your models, or many of them, you can make that selection when you choose your pickup. Yeah. In general, more wire is thicker mid-range, eventually darker. And it's the thicker mid-range that makes them dirtier too. As you go up, you get more power, more mid-range, and eventually darker. Less wire on any pickup is more open, airy, and brighter, cleaner. And so that's why almost every model we make, the bridge might have 10% 10% more wire than the neck, just so they balance better. It makes the neck cleaner and brighter, the bridge kind of thicker and fuller, not so bright. And so that makes a balanced set. You know, all these old guitars that we all love, they didn't do that till well into the 80s. Gibson, Fender didn't make hotter bridge pickups. And now everybody expects it. Yeah, in fact, I, was, I remember at one point not realizing until I learned that with T-tops, some of my favorite pickups, there is no bridge and neck model. That's true. That's just how it was back then. That's true of, uh, you know, in, in strats, we're all 5.7K. Or it was completely random. If you go back old enough, they're very randomly wound. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole subject we'll talk about in a minute if you want. Uh, but... You know, that's what got me into winding was a Strat Bridge pickup. It was hard to play my Strat Bridge pickup. I felt like I had to change the whole amp setting because all three pickups were, 
I had both a 65 and a 67, and all three pickups were around 5.7K, mm. which worked great in the neck and middle, but the bridge would tear your head off. Well, since we're talking about the bridge pickup, that brings me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you about, which is the base plate. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you if you could just kind of give our listeners um, a little bit of an explanation oh, sure. about the, what a base plate is and what the purpose of it is. Well, all Telecasters had a steel plate under them. A lot of DeArmond designs had the steel plate under them. And so we just built a plate of the same type of steel, same thickness that fit a strap. The purpose of it is actually it makes the pickup more efficient magnetically. Okay. So it gets a little bit louder, a little bit bassier without making it dirtier, like overwinding might. Mm-hmm. So tellies are clear, but they're just a little bit louder than strap bridge pickups. And part, that's part because of that base plate. So yeah, you add it to a strap bridge pickup, it probably gets 3% more bass. Mm-hmm. It's about 2% louder overall without making it dirtier. And I noticed that you also sell the base plate as uh, a, an accessory you can purchase off the website directly. Sure. So is there anything that you would recommend to our listeners in terms of if you purchase a base plate, keep this in mind or when you install it? Yeah, the potential to add to microphonics is there. That's why tellies are so microphonic because they've got that steel plate coupled to a steel bridge. Mm-hmm. You can scratch your fingers on the bridge or body of a telly and hear it through the amp all the time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, when we sell it, what we call a prepped base plate, it's got a piece of masking tape stuck to it that would go on the on the magnet side, the bottom of the pickup. So there's okay. like padding between it and the magnets. Plus it's been dipped in wax. Okay. And there's a little wire solder to it that you're gonna ground to the you know black wire of the pickup. Okay. So it's it's a process. As long as you uh, melt all that wax, use I just use a soldering pencil. Just kind of go back and forth till all the wax turns clear, leave it level for about a minute till it cools. Is the purpose of the wax to adhere the base plate to the pickup? Yes, and to keep it from being able to vibrate. Got it. Okay. You know, um, and then you ground that little wire. So a a base plate can be installed without removing the pickups from the pick guard. Just have to turn it upside down. Yeah, that's true. But doesn't uh, do this? Do the mounting holes go through the base plate, or the holes are just there to accommodate? They would help line it up because they are just clearance holes. Okay. They're bigger than the screw, and that just keeps it centered while you can get it down. Level up with Tyler Conahan. What's going on, everyone? Today, I want to talk to you guys about adding depth to your guitar recordings by recording the back of your amplifier. Now, while the long-running standard for miking guitar amps is a dynamic mic, such as a Shure SM57 on the grill cloth of an amplifier, there are many unique ways to mic your amp to get a bigger and deeper tone. One of my favorite techniques is miking the back of my amplifier. This approach combines the deep low end of close miking with the ambience of indirect miking. If you're using an open back amplifier, try placing a mic behind the amp pointed directly at the back of the drivers. This unique miking technique creates a dark, ambient, and sludgy tone that can be great for blending in with close mics. Of course, always remember to check the phase. Thank you guys for listening, and that's been another segment of Level Up with Tyler Conahan. (laughs) 
There are two pickups that you make that I wanted to make sure our listeners know about that I think are just really interesting for Strat players. And that's your Steel Pole 42 and your Steel Pole 43. So I wanted to ask you if you could tell our listeners why they might consider choosing one of these pickups over a traditional Strat pickup and how those two particular models differ, the 42 and 43. Sure. They are both called steel pole because instead of Alnico, it's a screw. And it's the same screw we would put in a P90. So they're kind of like a P90 for, for Fender guitars. Okay. Make them for Strats or Tellys. They just give you that thicker mid-range we talked about. If all you change on a pickup is the type of pole piece, a screw is going to be thicker and heavier and Alnico is going to be more open and airy. Okay. And so uh, we actually sell a lot of them as just single bridges. People keep their Alnico in the neck and middle or tell you to be just a neck mm-hmm. and put a steel pole in the bridge for a beefier sound. Okay. So it's not going as far as a humbucker bridge, but it's in that direction. But I notice you also have one of your products is um, the split blade Strat bridge pickup, and it's only a bridge pickup. You don't sell a middle or neck. That's a split steel pole. Split st- okay. Yeah, that's a much newer pickup. Once we made split blades, I said, how can I make this work with screws? And you can, but if you were to bend your G in between the D, I mean, your string in between the D and G pole, you would hear it get quieter. Because how all hum canceling works is one coil is clockwise and one coil is counterclockwise. And the truth is there's about five different ways you can use two coils on a pickup. But if you just make it that way, they're out of phase. So now you have to make one north and one south to put them back in phase. Mm-hmm. That's what a you know Gibson's humbucker was. That's what a P-base is um we do a lot of left and right designs like you mentioned the twang master p92 earlier they're doing that Mm -hmm. but if you try to put them really close to each other the north and south attracts and the field doesn't go up and reach the strings as efficiently Hmm. you know when all when all six poles are all south the field is spreading out above those coils like a mushroom but if there's a north and a south they're attracted to each other so if you could see a magnetic field, it would have a valley right in the middle of that pickup between okay. the D and G pole. Okay. Now we sell them to people for bridge pickups because you can't bend the string on a bridge pickup far enough to get it in between those poles. Mm-hmm. But that same that same uh, uh, that same uh, aspect is why the split blades are done the way they did. If those didn't cross, you would have that same dropout. When you bent your G. Now, when you That's say cross, you mean, the way the, past, yeah. you mean the way the blades kind of, I, yep. I, I, with my fingers. So you know they what do. I'm getting at. Yeah. They, they cross each other, so there is no dead spot in the middle. And so now I can use those for necks and middles and whatever you want to do with them. Um, so, but we just, you couldn't do that with a split uh, steel pole. So we do have a hum-canceling steel pole for bridge only. Unless, of course, I got all three on my slide. I can't, I don't bend the G, it's wound. Oh, so really? You, have a, you can use it, or if you played jazz and didn't bend your G, you could have split steel poles as a set. Okay. You just couldn't get away with it on regular people who bend their G can't, can't do it. 
But you mentioned the um, the split blades, and I wanted to ask you um, one of the one of the key features of the split blades is that that you don't get any string pull, even That's if right. you have them fairly close. And I wanted to ask you if if you'd be willing to tell us how do you do that? How do you accomplish that when, as opposed to a traditional pickup? Um, well, it's it's just more what worked. The split blades don't need a lot of magnet strength on them to sound very loud. And it's probably because the steel is just, you know, very efficient. That that blade is the same type of steel and the same thickness as Charlie Christian's, which is, we all know, is about the second magnetic pickup ever invented. I think the Rickenbacker horseshoe was the first. Okay. Uh, but the, the Charlie Christian, you know, they sounded great. They didn't have a, adjustable pole pieces. So quickly, Gibson, after a few years, went to the earliest P90 designs. Hmm. But uh, so the split blade is just very efficient. They might only be wound at 4.6 K and have very low Gauss magnets on them. And they're still as loud as a fender. That's interesting. In fact, I don't think I've ever thrown one of them on the multimeter, but I didn't really realize they were only 4 K. Yeah, they're low number of turns. I, I think I put 6,600 on a vintage output split blade neck and 8,000 turns on a strap neck. So, but the, they're very equivalent in output and tone. It's just what worked, you know. Okay. If you ever have a chance to hang out with Lindy Fralin and talk pickups, I promise you, 30 minutes ain't going to cut it. Tune in next time for part two of our conversation with Lindy. We'll talk about no-load pots, his custom blender control, and the secret behind his single-coil-sounding humbuckers. In the meantime, head on over to FreelandPickups.com. I guarantee you'll be impressed. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, and don't forget to give us a review. You've been listening to the Humbucker Soup Podcast with Kevin Chisholm. Produced by Jay Sosnicki. Music and audio production by Tyler Conahan. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Humbucker Soup.